Well, uh, like the introduction said, my name is Jason and I serve as pastor of Village Community Church in Kimberly. My wife and I and my two boys, Jack and Sam, we've lived in Kimberly uh, for about 13 years. I grew up in Racine and so I grew up in the 80s and 90s. I was born in 74, so I grew up you know, throughout the 80s, throughout the 90s and there was a lot of really cool things going on in the 80s and the 90s for those of you who lived through it, right? Uh, one of those things were pagers. Okay, I'm glad I got some chuckles because you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Remember the pagers? Right? It, back then, you know, pagers, and even nowadays, like real pagers, like firefighters wear them, right? You get paged and you got to go to a fire. Back then, you were, if you were a doctor, you'd have a pager. And somehow that leaked into the high school community and it became a cool thing, Right? I think it, it may have, you know, kind of been a drug dealer thing, you know, like, oh, I got to give me a page and hook go hook up, make a sale or whatever it is. Well, growing up in Racine, it started to become a fad in our school, and of course, I had to have one. Had to have one to the point where I just would beg and beg and beg my parents. And looking back on that, I'm thinking to myself, like, why in the world did my parents actually say yes to this? I probably got two pages, maybe three. And they're paying this monthly fee just for me to have this cool little clip thing on my pocket so when I walk through the school, I look valuable and important like everybody wants me. Here's the ridiculous thing. We didn't even have cell phones back then. So if you got a page, you're like, does somebody have a quarter? <laughs> Where is a pay phone? Right, like you're going to run and get a page. But I had to have this thing. Now fast forward. Fast forward to like six, seven, eight years ago when, when we first had these right samsung comes out with the galaxy my sickness for my wants and my needs got worse i wanted this thing so bad that it like and i couldn't buy it i didn't have the money but it just like wrecked me and i had this pro i realized i had this problem of my needs and my wants being confused and they blend so close together that we can become so confused. And it's what, this is what David is actually talking about in his very first phrase when he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, what do we need to survive? We need food, right? We got to have food, we got to have water. Most of you have seen the movie Unbroken or maybe even read the book, but you know, he went days without. Uh, without water but he still you know he still needed it had he not had it he would die if we didn't have food or water we would die if we didn't have um you know clothing right like we'd freeze to death if we didn't have um maybe we'd just be embarrassed to death i don't know but we would we, we need the clothing we need shelter we need protection we need safety but here's what happens god meets every single one of those needs but in our humanness in our flesh what happens is we have a need that's met and we become satisfied with that need, but in our sinful nature, we're found wanting more, don't we? Like if I get a piece of bread and I'm starving, oh man, does that taste good. But next week, if I get to add peanut butter to that bread, whew, that tastes even better. Why would I want to go back to bread without peanut butter? But then you add some jelly, right? And then the Wonder Bread goes away and someone brings you some homemade bread. Oh man, and then you're like, I can add ham and cheese and turkey and mayonnaise and avocado for you health freaks out there, right? Like, this is some good. Do you see where I'm getting at, though? Like, where we, 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 we have these things. And then so you get a cell phone. 
I went from a pager to a cell phone, not from a cell phone like the Samsung, then I went to the Apple, and then I, and then I wanted, then they had the four, then I had to get the five, then I had to get the six, then I got to get the seven. Do you see where I'm going with this? Your needs become your wants, even Adam and Eve. It, like, we, we got to be careful not to say it's not okay to want because we were created with this thing of wanting. Adam and Eve wanted to be with the Lord in the garden because he was good and he gave them things in relationship to them. But the devil knew exactly how he could manipulate that by saying, you want that apple. The Lord knows you want it. There's nothing wrong with wanting it. And here we sit today, wrestling through this passage for David. Now David calls the Lord his shepherd. There's so many names in the, in the Bible for God. You have El Shaddai, meaning God, Lord God Almighty. El Olam, which means the everlasting God. Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord that heals. Jehovah Jireh, which means that the Lord will provide. Jehovah Shalom means the Lord is peace. And this name that, that, that David calls God here is Jehovah Ra'ah, which means the Lord my shepherd. What I hope to complete here and walk through uh, and understand is that as we continue to know our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as our shepherd, our cups will continue to overflow and our wants and our fears, our needs, if you will, will fade like a forgotten past. But I want to deal a little bit deeper with this idea of wanting. Now, David was a king. What do kings have? Kings have power and they have wealth. Can you relate to a king? Someone who has power and wealth? Anyone in here? I have a feeling all of us can relate in some way, shape, or form. Did you eat breakfast this morning? Did you have a cup of coffee? Did you check the news, social media, whether it's on your phones or a computer, tablet, maybe on a television? Right? Did you come here in a car today? Did you choose which car to take? Should we take the van? Should we take the summer car? Should we put the top down? Maybe we, we did some of that. Students, do you choose? Maybe this summer you get to choose like what time you go to bed, right? Like a, a, you, get, that you have these choices that you can make. You know, we are the wealthiest people in the world. We literally live like kings. We don't really have any needs, if, if you can say, because all of our needs are met and they become these wants. And we have choices. We can choose what car. We can choose the food. We can choose our jobs. We can choose our friends. Heck, we can choose the church that we want to go to. This is wealth. This is power. And David knew this. And yet he says, I shall not want. This shall not want is an emphatic no, not ever. I shall never, ever want. Here's an interesting thing. You know what the Hebrew word for uh, want is? Want. He's straight up with us. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he pitches this dilemma to us that we, that we wrestle with that we still want all the time. And advertising doesn't help us either, right? Advertising constantly tells us you need this, you need this, you need that, you need this. There's a cure for this. You don't need to suffer. You should take this pill. You should have this. You should have that. 
So does this phrase for us describe us? Is, does it, do, do we not want? We shall not want. Jesus says, you ask anything in my name and it'll be granted to you. Boy, that gives me a lot of things to pray for. If I ask Jesus, Lord Jesus, help me get the new cell phone. Lord Jesus, help me with this. Help me that. So how can David say that he shall not want? Now, we know David had some issues, right? David had everything in the world except that Bathsheba woman down there that was looking mighty pretty. He had any wife that he could have wanted. But he wanted her. And then he wanted her husband killed. And yet this same man writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, David, as Desi Arnaz would say, you got some splaining to do. (laughs) Why shall you not want? Because the good shepherd provides for every want and need for the best outcome of his sheep. And David knew this because he was a shepherd. He was willing to lay his life down. So let's walk through the rest of this passage. And I want us to understand three things. That a good shepherd is one who provides things. He's provisional. He provides protection. And he also gives us peace. Let's look at the provision part here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Verse 1. Verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters this is essentially a providence of rest sheep will not lay down until they're satisfied so where would you bring a sheep to get satisfied into the green grass into the best food and the best nourishment possible now here's an interesting thing you read this line here that says he leads me beside still waters like in the summertime i love going up to a cabin somewhere where there's a nice calm lake you wake up in the morning you can hear the birds chirping the lake is like glass and you're just sitting out there with your cup of coffee right that's a picture of rest and a picture that we could see here but the truth of the matter is that when it says he leads me beside still waters he's actually protecting the sheep he's providing providential protection for them to keep them away from the still and stagnant bacteria infested waters and bringing them to the place of fresh water and nourishment that we're beside means he takes me past the still waters so it's kind of a dual message there there's a beautiful place of rest and peace when the sheep are satisfied they won't lay down until they're satisfied we have a great pyrenees at home i don't know if you know what a great pyrenees dog is but he's about 70 pounds just a big massive beautiful dog and they're actually designed to be somewhat shepherds and they don't lay down until they know everything is secure so when he's out in the backyard Man, if there's a bunny or a bird, he got a vole the other day. That thing was trying to hop through, right? And he's just like a beast, tail all up like this and furry. He's just like ready to attack. But when he lays in the grass and my wife and I are sitting on our picnic table and he just lays down and he takes that, <sighs> we know he's satisfied. And what David is saying here is the Lord my shepherd provides a restful, nourishing place that's abundant for me to rest verse 3 he restores my soul he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake now restoration is something that fixes something that is broken we're going to come back to this a little bit deeper in the end but i want us to connect with what david is saying here and and i'll just ask you this what is it that keeps you up at night 
What prevents you from getting that nice, restful sleep? What things need to be restored in your life? Is there unresolved conflict? Is there unfinished business? Is it the what-ifs in life that may bother you? We seek this restoration in peace. And David is saying here, the Lord actually restores the brokenness in my soul. We're still living in, we're still walking through this, this idea of, of God's provision of rest in this. He's the one that restores everything. And this is why David can say in verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. This understanding of, of walking through the valley of the shadow of death is the idea that there's things that are threatening your life or the lives around you. When something so bad has come into your life that it shoves hope out, that it causes you to be afraid, this word evil literally means the devil. I'm not going to fear the devil even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Anything that is threatening your life, you know, you guys know this, this is what Max and Sharice are going through right now. Things that are threatening the life of their son. It's a scary thing. You guys have walked through them. You, when, when, when they got pregnant, yay, right? And then when you learn, uh-oh, something is wrong. This is what David's talking about. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Let me just say it. Most of us don't live in that world on a regular basis. It's interesting, though, that probably 50% of America is somehow medicated by something that takes that little edge of anxiety and frustration off. But the reality is, is most of us do not live in the midst of the shadow or, or the valley of the shadow of death. Most of us don't live there. All of our needs are provided for. We got food, we got shelter. I mean, you might say, well, I'm just covered under the weight of my bills and I gotta, you know, I gotta, I gotta make sure to get, do better at my job so I can provide or get the better job and all of that. Well, isn't that our fault? Praise God for what God is allowing Max and Sharice to go through. I think it's a testament and a testimony of God's faithfulness and how they're pr protecting little Ezekiel and showing the rest of us grown folks the glory and the power of our great shepherd. He goes on to say, for you are with me. I love that. In the midst of our lives, we may be just freaked out and frustrated and scared and oh, how is this going to play out and what if this and what if that and I can't sleep at night because things are unresolved and conflicts and all these things. And David says, for you are with me. He says, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. See, the shepherd's rod and staff, you know, we, we think of it as the shepherd's hook, right? And they're standing there. And we've probably heard several different illustrations about what those things do. You know, you can use the rod and the staff to, uh, you know, to hook the sheep in and pull them in. But essentially, it is for direction and protection. Like if a sheep goes a little bit out of the lane, right, the shepherd comes along and says, no, 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 not over there, not over there, not, beside, not the still water, Right? That's nasty. That'll give you a bad tummy ache. Not over there. Oh, here comes a wolf. Here comes a something or other. Well, bam. Right? They're using those things for protection. This is why David was able 
to stand up to Goliath. I actually love this, that in, in Max's recent blog, he even talked about 1 Samuel, when David stood up to Goliath. Let's, uh, let's just turn there, if you want to, with me. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is how David can come to this conclusion about God protecting him. Saul, this giant, is coming out and threatening David's people. And David comes and stands in the midst of it and says, well, what's, going, what's up with this dude? And he said, well, he's nine feet tall. A guy's got a spear, and the end of the spearhead is 15 pounds. He said, who's going to stand up to this guy? Of course everybody would run and flee. But David comes up and he stands and he says, what seems to be the problem? Verse 31, it says, When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Little ruddy David, shepherd boy. Like, what does, what does a shepherd do? He stands out in the field with a stick all day. Guides a bunch of brainless animals around, you know, eat here, lay down there, and we'll hang out, and, you know, maybe I can go watch a ball game when I'm done. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are just but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant, meaning himself, used to keep sheep for his father. Again, so what, right? (laughs) And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it from his mouth. Little ruddy David is protecting his sheep. So if a lion or a bear came and grabbed that lion, put a uh, sheep in his mouth and took off, David went after him and he smacked him and said, put that down. You drop it. My dog loves socks. And he will not give up a sock. And I'll stand over him and he'll just look at me, you know, like, <laughs> what you gonna do, Dad? I know you don't smack me, right? David smacks that lion And if he drops it out of his mouth and then turns and comes back towards David, he says, I went after him and struck him and delivered the the sheep out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be just like one of them. Here's why. Because he has defied the armies of of the living God and David said the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine you see David didn't show up and go look what I did to that bear because of these guns I grabbed him by his beard and I took no he realized that his purpose in life was to be a shepherd and protect the sheep and the only way he would get the strength to be able to do something like that is if God gave him the strength and ability to be able to do it. How many of you would stand up to a lion or a bear? I mean, why do you think we have fences at zoos? To protect us. And here this man is saying, by the strength of the Lord, I was able to take care of these people. And then he goes on, when he approaches Goliath. Now think about this. A nine-foot person, I really don't know like how tall these stairs are, but I don't know that I'm actually nine feet tall up here. But if you guys came and stood, you'd be a lot shorter than me. And of course, I'm a tiny guy, so I'd be, you know, you'd blow on me, I'd fall over. 
But imagine this massive nine-foot guy standing in front of little tiny David, who, by the way, put on his armor and said, this is all clunky, it's not working for me. Um, I just got my sling in my back pocket. And David comes up to him, and he says, um, he says to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you not with a sling in my pocket, but in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defied this day, The Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear but the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. And we know the rest of the story. God did give him into his hand. Little David. So David can sit down and pen this psalm and say, even though I am facing a life-threatening situation, I know that you're with me, God. Your rod and your staff, they will comfort me. Let me just camp out here for just a moment on this. You are with me. Do you ever sometimes feel like the presence of the Lord is away from you? And you're like, Lord, where, where are you? Where have you been in the midst of this? Oh my goodness, our country got shut down for an entire year. I can't do anything. Lord, where are you? Why have you not come down and done something to fulfill and satisfy my needs and my wants? I thought you were, our, I thought you were my shepherd. Well, the truth is, is that 1 Corinthians 6 actually says that the body is a temple where the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Do you know where God was? If you're a Christ follower, he was inside of you. And still is inside of you. He stays with you. He never leaves you and and will not forsake you. As a matter of fact, David goes on in this celebration and says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. This preparing a table in the presence of enemies is a declaration that says evil will not prevail over good. I mean, can you imagine that? You're in a gigantic room in a gigantic hall and there's a beautiful meal and you're invited to the table. There's a chair with your name on it, but your enemies are standing all around while the Almighty God is just serving you the greatest meal ever. This is essentially God saying, look, I'm caring for my sheep. I'm protecting my sheep from you. And you at this presence of this table is an announcement of victory. Victory in God, in God alone. And there is no possible way for evil victory. He actually goes on to say, you anoint my head with oil. This anointing is essentially saying, I'm I'm set apart. Like, Lord, you, you came to me and said, I'm going to set you apart to be different than the rest of the world. In Ephesians chapter one, Paul actually gives us this beautiful illustration of what being set apart actually looks like. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, listen to this, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Being holy and blameless is essentially you're set apart. Your old self is gone. Your new self has come. You are set apart as being holy and righteous and pure because of what Christ has done. In love, verse five, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. 
How many, have anybody in here ever adopted a child or been adopted? You know that. Anybody know anybody who's been adopted? And we all, of course, understand what adoption really is. Adoption is not looking through a list of people and saying, well, no, no, ye, <laughs> no, um, well, kind of good, but you know, what could this person do for me? Look, the shepherd is all about giving of himself in order to bring the sheep into himself. And with this adoption, God chooses his people to become his sheep so that according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. This word lavish means to pour out in an abundance so there's no more needs and no more wants. You guys still tracking with me the need want thing? He has lavished his riches of his glorious inheritance upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. He goes on to say that the Holy Spirit guarantees this inheritance in us. It's here now and it's guaranteed forever. There is an abundance, and that's why David can say, my cup overflows. I mean, we sang that this morning. All of you is enough for all of me. You're my sacrifice. You're my greatest source for everything. That was, that was these songs. If I'm honest, man, I was feeling a little guilty singing that song this morning. I kind of felt like I was lying. And that's just me. Because yesterday, as I was at a graduation party at my really, really good friend's house, it's like 6,000 square feet, out in the middle of nowhere, peaceful place. It's got a big golf thing down in the basement. I mean, this thing is like the size of this wall. You can golf any course in the world. It's got a movie theater in the basement. I really like his Yukons that are in his garage. And I walked away from there feeling a little less than satisfied. Oh man, there's some things that I'd really like as I walk past all the really fancy cars and trucks going to my vehicle, you know. But here David says, my shepherd, he will comfort me. My shepherd causes my cup to overflow. And this is the point where we recall the rest that the shepherd gives us and the restoration and the comfort which essentially brings us peace. How many of you are just longing to have some peace? I am. Every time I turn on the news, every time I flip on social media, every time I open my stinking eyes and my ears, there is utter chaos around me. Sometimes I wonder, who really are my friends? Who can I trust in this world? Who, who, who do I know has my back? And David is saying here, it's the one who restores my soul. I told you we'd come back to this. Again, restoration means that something was broken in the beginning. Turn with me to John chapter 10, if you will. It's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
John chapter 10. This here is where Jesus is speaking specifically as himself as the shepherd. He is the good shepherd. This is where God gets personal with us. He says in verse 3 of chapter 10, To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Go on to verse 9. I am the door, Jesus says. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. You guys connect in Psalm 23 with Jesus' words here? I believe Jesus was connecting those words of David. David was an example of a pre-incarnate Christ. He was not the Christ. We know that. But as David ran after lions that took his sheep away, the sheep that have gone astray, God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to come and rescue all those who trust in him. That's why he says, you, anyone who comes through me will be saved. Saved from what? The evil one. Saved from death. Saved from yourself. He will be saved. And he will find pasture. That's right now. You and I can have, live in rest in peace and, and pasture because of the restoration. He says, I am the good shepherd, verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The shepherd gives. He doesn't take. Well, he takes his children away from the enemy, of course. But he doesn't take for himself. He lays himself down sacrificially for the sheep in order to do what? Restore our souls. What was broken? We are broken. We are born into this world. Born into iniquity, as David says. Broken, separated from the Father. That relationship was broken. And Christ has come to restore that, that, that relationship between us and God the Father. Therefore, restoring our lives Right now, as David says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Christ is the good shepherd. Any football fans in here? Just maybe a few, I, I don't know. It, you know. I'm not gonna make every illustration a football thing. But one thing that really stands out to me, and I had to figure out what this was, but you know in the beginning of football games, um, like when the offense comes out on the field, they always kind of introduce all of the players, and, and they'll kind of allow the, the players to do it. They put their little pictures up there, and they're like, hi, I'm so-and-so from this, this such-and-such a college. Well, many times they'll say something like, from the Ohio State University. And I'm like, why, why do you, they always make a big deal about the, right? So, of course, I have to do some research. Well, they had to put that, they actually put that into their policy or, or even their, you know, description of their school because people were getting the, they were getting Ohio State University mixed up with Ohio University. And so they wanted to say, oh, we're not just Ohio University, we're the Ohio 
University, like the actual OSU. And when it says here that he is the shepherd, the good shepherd, that's what I'm talking about. He is the best. You could say the better. Better than what? Better than all. Better than every single one of them. He's the reason why God is called El Shaddai. The Lord God Almighty, El Olam, the everlasting God. Who wants to mess with an almighty, everlasting God? You know what that means? You're stronger than everybody else, and you're going to outlast everybody else. He will win everything. And yet, God withdrew himself from Christ on the cross. Actually, prior to that, in the garden. That's why Jesus was weeping in the garden. He was weeping over his people and he was weeping over the future separation that he would have from his father. And we heard that cry on the cross when he said, my my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Meaning, why have you separated yourself from me? He wasn't gonna be separated for that long of a time, but he still agonized so bad because he knew the glory of God the Father. And he loves you and I so much that he was willing to leave the comfort of heaven to come down, give us instruction, and then lay his life down in our place. We are the ones that deserve to be on that cross. We are the ones who deserved to be separated completely, and yet he laid his life down for us. David goes on. I'll repeat myself here. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, let's just be honest, folks. Before this day is over, maybe even before this message is over, we are all going to somehow sin in some sort of a way. But for practicality's sake, before this day is over, we're probably going to leave this place and we're going to want and learn, uh, want and yearn for things uh, that, that are just selfish, Right? Okay, I just sinned. I I want you to like me. There. I want you to think I'm cool. I want you to think I'm great. I want you to think I'm an amazing pastor, an amazing preacher. I want you to think that I'm better than everybody else. I'm just being honest with you. It's wrong, right? I mean, the Lord should be my, my shepherd. The Lord should be the one to provide all the satisfaction for me. As a matter of fact, if I was so fully satisfied in the Lord, I wouldn't have been one bit nervous to come and talk to you guys today. But as it got closer, as I'm watching down this order of service, right? And it was all because I just want you to like me. Where I should rather be so satisfied in the Lord that I'm just so excited to get up here and make a big deal about God and Christ and him crucified. So I'm trying to do my best, okay? I'm trying to, trying to do these things. But you guys are gonna fail as well. I hate to say it. What do sheep do? They wander. They stray. They're really not all that smart. So we need to keep coming back for instruction, don't we? We need to keep singing songs of worship that remind us of how we really should. I think it's interesting that David actually says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He doesn't say, I will not want. (laughs) He leaves himself a way out. I shouldn't want, but I do. And this is great instruction for what he has said. Essentially is what he's saying is, 
I don't have to want because I'm not afraid because I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's not a future event, folks. It is, but it's a both and. You are currently, if you have put your hope and faith in Jesus Christ right now, you are currently dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. Will you struggle? Will you have trials? Absolutely. Will you sin and hurt people? Absolutely. But we can be confident that we can dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know if you guys have are into name research or anything like that, but I really enjoy looking up different names and meanings, and I, I really believe that God names people. On, I believe God gives godly parents names for their children because there's a purpose in it. I'm not going to be all spiritual with you, but I just see it happening all over the place. And I just find it very interesting that Max's son, Ezekiel, his name actually means God's strength. And we've seen God's strength in the midst of this, haven't we? I've seen God's strength in the midst of Max's weakness. He wrote about it in his blog. If you haven't read it, you should read it. He's just truly saying, Lord, I got nothing. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. That poor in spirit is really essentially saying, like, I got nothing without you. And this is what David said. That's why he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I should not want anything He provides for me. He gives me rest. He protects me. He leads me. He guides me. And because of Christ, we have peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord God, I thank you that that you have preserved history for thousands of years so that we can be instructed not just to know what to do, but to know what is true. Father God, we thank you for Jesus, the great shepherd, who we know will come back one day. Help us, Lord. Help us in the midst of this to be reminded that you are the great shepherd and we do not have to want because we are your children and you will guide us and lead us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.